Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Tight End Strategy Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardis, and joining me as always, the one, the only, the man that is actually putting, not pencil to paper, but fingers on keyboards to come out with this amazing strategy in the first place, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, we've done quarterback, wide receiver, running back. Today, we do tight ends. Great day to be great. You know, I, I still occasionally put um, pencil to paper, but usually, you know, I get called a boomer when I do that by you. So I never let you see me take notes anymore. No. It's such a waste. <laughs> like, how are you going to look up something you wrote? I, you can't control F a freaking piece of paper. Like, that's my only issue with using paper in the year 2022. Yeah, I'm, I still like it. But yeah, I agree. Like, and most of my stuff's all on a spreadsheet with all my notes. Like, you know, so I'm fine. But like sometimes when we're going, like I'll jot things down and it's mainly just because I'm old Ian, and I don't want to forget stuff. Like I got to remember, like to make a comeback and make a point, you know, I always need a little note, like on my paper somewhere that just says bash Alan Lazard, you know, <laughs> so I don't forget. I do message stuff to my uh, self all the time because I do think our ability to, you know, it'll be midnight and you come up with a cool thought and like, oh yeah, I remember, I remember this in the morning. I remember to write this down. You totally forget. Totally forget it every single time. I, actually I have just, a notepad. I have a notepad for that, but I just use my note. I just actually use my notes in my phone for that. I just will quite write myself a quick text. I, kn I know we like to give the thread folks out there a hard time here on this podcast, but you know what? If it's a great thread, it's a great thread. I saw a viral one that was talking about the best practices from like successful writers. They cited Jerry Seinfeld and a couple other guys over the years. And the top two things, Dwayne, long walks and writing down all your ideas, because again, we're just, you know, destined to forget them if we don't write it down. So, Hey, Seinfeld nope. actually had an episode about him waking up and writing down a joke on his notepad. Oh, he forgot it. He, yeah. he can't remember it and he can't read it. And he's asking <laughs> Elaine, like he's, he's like, what, what, I, what is this joke? What does it say? He's like asking everybody. He's going through all of his friends. So it's like, a, it's like a whole show just about what you're talking about. All right, moving right along to our tight end strategy. Again, you can catch quarterback, running back, and a lengthy wide receiver addition in past episodes. But, Dwayne, you know, before we get going, we just need to remind everyone here that every season is different. Every fantasy football draft is a dynamic, living organism. I tried to co-tweet that with Dwayne, but apparently co-tweets aren't working anymore. So thanks a lot for that, Twitter, Elon, whoever the hell we're supposed to blame these days. But, Dwayne, as funny, I think, as much as that phrase makes me laugh every single time I say it, it's true, man. Zero RB, modified zero RB, robust quarterback, robust whatever the hell you want to call your draft strategy. You shouldn't go into a draft with this one strategy in mind. Let it come to you. Take the value where it lies and be ready to adjust. And really, like when you study the core of those different strategies and what people were really trying to like teach people about, they're really frameworks. Like when you go really research them, right? None of them really are like, Oh my God, you have to do this one thing, but that's the way it gets interpreted because everything yeah. gets turned into a tweet, right? Everything gets turned into a soundbite in our culture today. And so when people hear zero RB, like just what they think about it versus like what Sean Siegel originally wrote about it, like are really two different things. So I would encourage everybody. It's good to understand all of those strategies and understand really what the framework is, you know, for each one. And then as you're in a draft and you see the opportunity unfold and you think, okay, that's the path I'm going to go after these first three picks based on the way that, you know, you know, some of the value sets this year. Now, boom, you're ready to go. You're taking, you know, what you know about this year's ADP and where the value is. You're taking what you know about really the structure of a certain strategy and what the strengths and weaknesses of it are. And like you put those two things together and like you can, you can win any draft. You know, you can always be ready to pivot, do something different if you need to, 
like if you've got an opponent like just keeps cutting you off like you know ian tried to do yesterday in our best ball <laughs> stream over on four for four so you know you got to be ready for that stuff i threw my personal strategy out the window and was just trying to make Dwayne. well we angry. all did let's be honest if one of those win and at the end somebody's <laughs> like hardest how did you win this i just tried to snipe Dwayne every pick if they ask me i'm gonna say the same thing i'm like hardest sniped me this pick so i made sure he couldn't stack goddard with you know uh, jalen hurts and then dallas goddard was the tight end one thank you <laughs> so at tight end it seems like every single year we're like okay wow look at these light, late round options why draft Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews early when we can go and you know get Hayden Hurst late or Evan Ingram late you know it's the the latest Chris Herndon's of the world and just you know every time I say that name now I just have this like drop in my heart basically but you know what it's not over till it's over Dwayne anyway I think we have a tendency year after year Tight end depth charts look much more readable, much more encouraging in May and June. And then September and October come along and we're like, damn it, why did we not just take one of the sure things at the top of the draft? Right now, Dwayne, two of those guys are being taken in the top two rounds with a first round ADP. We have Travis Kelsey, second round ADP, Mark Andrews. We know their studs. Kelsey had four freaking straight overall tight end one finishes before Andrews took the top spot last year. And both guys arguably are looking at their most targets ever with Tyreek Hill leaving the Chiefs and Marquise Brown leaving the Ravens. You're more so in on Mark Andrews in round two than Kelsey in round one, Dwayne. But man, either of these guys, if the right wide receivers and running backs go ahead of you, I'm comfortable taking either guy in the top two rounds. Yeah, I'm comfortable taking either as well. Um, you know, the, the challenge with taking Kelsey in the first, one of the challenges, right, is that Kyle Pitts falls back in the third. <laughs> so Kyle Pitts could be the number one tight end in fantasy football this season. We just need the coaching staff to wake up and be like, hey, let's not line him up outside every time where he's got to play a corner. Let's get him inside. Let's get him against linebackers, safeties. Like Kyle Pitts is already a really good player. Like he already, he, you know, he already busted through all the PFF rookie receiving grades and everything that we would want for a wide receiver. He played, he played wide receiver, right? So he's yep. already accomplished that. Like we know that, that Kyle Pitts is an amazing player we just need them to maximize him. And so part of the issue with taking Kelsey early is, you know, you kind of take away the pits option. Honestly, the challenge with Mark Andrews is taking him at the end of the second round. And so opportunity costs too, right? So if you're going to pass on Kel, if you, you take Kelsey, you're passing on Stefan Diggs. If you take Kelsey, you're passing on Dalvin cook, which is okay. You could still do that, but I'd much rather take pits and pass on, you know, some of the guys going in that range, you know, at receiver. Like I'm much more comfortable taking and we love Michael Pittman, but I'm much more comfortable taking pits over Pittman. Right. than I am, you know, taking Stefan Diggs over Kelsey. Like once you factor in the age and just the upside of the Bills offense and all those different like we like Michael Pittman, but the Bills could throw the ball more than any anyone in the league. And we could get a 30 percent target share from Stefan Diggs. He should probably be going inside the top six picks. This is really hard to pass him, right? At, you know, pick 11, pick 12, where you can take Kelsey. Um, but it's still in play, to your point. It's an elite offense. And we really could see Travis Kelsey have a career season, even though he's older. Like, it could still happen. You know, I went back, and I talked about it the other day, how I went back and studied every running back, the top 50 running backs all time in the NFL rushing leaders. So I did the same thing for tight ends and receivers laying in bed because I was just, you know, couldn't fall asleep. And so I'm just looking pro football reference, you know, real study here, folks, where I'm putting it all in a spreadsheet. Like I probably <laughs> eventually will, but I was mainly, I wanted to go way back. I wanted to see like, you know, did players, you know, used to play longer versus what they do now, that kind of thing. And I had seen some stuff from Adam Harstead on these, what he calls mortality tables, which are awesome. They're up over at football guys. They kind of show you basically really 
until a player truly hits the cliff, like, I mean, each year, yes, they have an increasing rate, you know, of falling off of it, but there's still a good chance that if they don't, if they don't hit the cliff, they could still give you a big season. In other words, what we don't always see that sometimes we may think is there's this steady decline for players. Sometimes there is, but a lot of times it's really, they're just awesome. And then there's a cliff. And so that's the thing you got to remember with Kelsey, the, the, the high end outcome could still really be there. So I don't want to overly discount him, but at the same time, like with age, there is a better chance of, of the fall off. There is a better chance of injury. So I think you just have to factor those things in. Quick screen share here. And, you know, this is something we talked about a little bit earlier in the offseason, particularly in Dynasty yeah, land. But, yeah, man, just it, you can really see, man, t- t- wide receivers, once you hit 30, it's really a steep fall off. Running backs, you know, once you hit really 26, unless you're kind of getting the second contract on the same team, you can start expecting some diminishing returns, particularly after 28. Tight end, I mean, from 28 to 32, we just don't really see that big of a difference. And there's actually been 7% of the top 12 performance performers uh since over the last decade have been age 35 or older i mean we haven't gotten a single one of those at running back or wide receiver so yeah it's certainly possible that we've seen the best of kelsey already but it's also possible that we could get another boom year or, or two here particularly with the volume at hand Dwayne, for me when i've been getting kelsey i've been picking basically at the turn and for me it's like okay what if our top six top five running backs i'm not sure if you include Najee in there if the top six running backs are gone and the top five wide receivers and you're picking out 112 isn't that when we want to take kelsey because at that point i'm like just i'll take kelsey and whatever great wide receiver is right there still maybe even saquon barkley but i feel like when you're at the turn and you're not bypassing the stefan Diggs or the dalvin cook value we're like now nah, you have to jump down a tier to on, on your next pick that's when i want kelsey Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You play the tiers in that situation Um, because here's what happens. You know, if you look forward at the tight end spot, um, if if you don't take Kelsey, you're going to have a shot at Pitts if you still want an elite player at the end of round three. But he's it, right? You don't really want to reach on Kittle or Waller right there. You know, I mean, you could you you could you could if you wanted, right? We're trying to maximize ADP at the same time. So if you let that go, most likely Waller and Kittle are going to be gone when it gets back to you. So now essentially what you're going to do is wait again and you're going to have a shot in an upside player like Dallas Goddard later. But again, it gets kind of narrow. Now Goddard kind of becomes your target because Schultz and Hawkinson, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but I think it's good people to kind of hear us paint it out and why we think this way, like just like in one sentence here or one paragraph. And so when you're plotting it out, you don't want to reach on Schultz and um, Hawkinson which it would force you to do. And you don't want to, you, you'd be willing to take pits, but you don't want to reach on Kittle or Waller. And where those guys are going in the draft, you're basically going to miss them if you don't reach. So then you're kind of honing in on Dallas Goddard with Zach Ertz as your backup plan later, you know, if, if you don't. So the beauty of getting Kelsey there is you lock it in because a lot of times pits will be gone in the third round and you're not going to have an opportunity for it. And you're not going to want to reach on the other guys. So it makes it nice from picking from the end. You can go ahead and have your your tight end. You know you're going to have a top three guy for and, sure. And, and we're maybe done. It, and one. we're done with it. If this and is redraft, done. we're taking one. And that's it. And you're done. Yes, redraft, just taking one. Absolutely. So I had an article go up 
last couple of weeks, which tight ends have a chance to actually lead their team in targets and only four in the top tier with a legit chance to actually lead their entire offense in targets. Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, George Kittle, and Kyle Pitts, who we've already discussed. But looking even more so in that, man, it really is like a 1A, 1B tier because PFF projections have Kelsey for 143 projected targets, Mark Andrews right behind him at 137. So, Dwayne, I mean, we're looking at two guys that can get the same amount of targets. And yeah, I'll take Patrick Mahomes over Lamar Jackson as a pure passer. But more so, man, like Kelsey, I- I'm with you. If Dalvin Cook's there, even if Stephon Diggs there, like it-, it probably does make more sense to grab those guys because in round two, and this is kind of a similar sentiment to a lesser extent with Kyle Pitts, like Kyle Pitts is when we really start getting into the muddy wide receiver two range. So there still might be, you know, some Debo Samuel, Tyreek Hill type ballers that you're passing on in favor of Mark Andrews. But the more we look at things, Dwayne, if we are starting to scrunch that wide receiver zone, like even smaller, Mark Andrews, you know, pick 17, 18, where he's been going over underdog looks better and better by the day. Yeah. And and the thing with Andrews, like, here's what I found with my research on tight ends. Essentially, you just really want one of the guys with the elite underlying data points around yards per route run, targets per route run, PFF receiving grade. That's what you want. There's a lot of guys that sit down below that could be a low-end tight end one or a high-end tight end two. Historically, to truly blow the top off of tight end, meaning they give you more like a wide receiver one or wide receiver two production, they're hitting those metrics. And Andrews just crushes all of them, man. Top three since entering the league in PFF receiving grade, yards per route run, and targets per route run. This is one of those great situations, Dwayne. We're talking about a top three fantasy player and a real-life player at the position. Yeah, so it's just, you know, and, and again, you can be done. You can be done at the position. You gain an edge at the position. And you can also be done. And, and so those two things alone just give you massive flexibility later. Like, like I've had I've had multiple drafts where I've gone running back, come back with Andrews, took another running back, turn around, took an, uh, my first receiver in round four, and then taken a, an elite quarterback in round five, right? Not following really any kind of build anyone would ever say to do, but the way the value falls, like you can really do it. Um, what I would say, you know, it's... I don't know. So like when I look at, you know, Andrews, I agree with everything you said and, and, you know, kind of laying out, you know, the, the, the benefits, you know, that we just talked about. Um, but we do have access to multiple high end running back options with every, every down potential in round two. And, and the challenge becomes as much as we love Andrews and the advantage he can give us at the position. And because it's really all relative, right? Typically leagues have 12 starting tight ends. So if you can outscore the person with a tight end 12 by hundred points, like you have a hundred point advantage over them in the season. But the one challenge I have that I where I struggle is the upside of every down backs. We talked we talked about it multiple times already in the show, so I won't rehash it all. But essentially, the highest end outcomes they belong to the backs. So if you want a chance to truly just blow it out of the water, as just far as pure points, it's tough to pass Barkley. It's tough to to, to pass Fournette. You know, it's tough to pass even Aaron Jones and some of these other options. DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift as well to take to take Andrews above them, especially when in the third round, those types of backs, we have a couple more options. We could get ETN. We could get Kamara right now while he's falling. James Connors around, but it lessens, right? The pool lessens in round three. And, you know, Kyle Pitts is still an option. So sometimes, you know, it's how your draft falls in the way in, in the way that you're really trying to work it. But I think that's one potential thing that's kept me a little bit lighter on Andrews versus the field is just knowing like, man, if, if, if Saquon Barkley smashes, what does it look like? 
you know, Andrews, we know it's going to be good, but if Saquon Barkley smashes, right, he could be the RB1 overall and score 400 fantasy points. Like Andrews just, he can't. You can't score 400 fantasy points as a tight end. So it's just, that's the one thing, um, you know, and, and the addition of having Pitts available there in the third round. And that takes us right to Kyle Pitts, going to be Dwayne's basically next tier down here. So looking at the early middle rounds, three through six, third round ADP is Kyle Pitts. In the fourth round, we're having Darren Waller and George Kittle. Sometimes Kittle even fall into round five in this yeah. economy. I can't believe it. Also, I just put him at four. He's he's honestly a tweener. I just put him at yeah. four because yeah. I, I didn't want to fool anyone to thinking, oh, he'll always be there in the third in the fifth. And then, you know, you wait and you're like, well, Dwayne's an idiot. Yeah, I can't get him in the fifth. <laughs> For sure. Fifth round ADP, maybe a little bit later into it, but Dalton Schultz and then sixth round ADP, TJ Hawkinson. So just from this perspective at first, Dwayne, like let's talk about the big elephant in the room. Like Dalton Schultz, there's nothing wrong, I don't think. I understand why he's ranked tight end six. I've had him ranked there for a long time, but the issue is how close he is going to Kittle and Waller at this point. Like, isn't that the main problem? If it was Schultz, Hawkinson, Goddard, like one pick after another. I think we could lean more into Schultz, but now it's like, why take Schultz so we can get Goddard rounds later? Like we cannot be confusing Schultz with these guys like Kittle and Waller because he just as a, an underlying talent has nowhere near the same level of upside. That's right. And, and remember what I, we just mentioned, like you really need that underlying talent profile and Goddard has it and Schultz doesn't. Schultz could easily outscore Goddard this year. Let's be clear. He, he's in an offense that does have more targets that are available, right? But yep. just because targets are available doesn't necessarily mean that someone can earn them. I will say at tight end, we can see these little weird spike years because you're playing against linebackers. You're playing against safety. Again, where Kyle Pitts should be playing against those guys. You know, you're playing against a lot of zone coverage. Um, and so, you know, if you're smart, you know where to set down in a zone. You're on the same page with your quarterback. You know, you don't have to be like this uber lead athlete, you know, to rack up some targets. But to have the big time upside, you want the ability to run after the catch. You want the big play touchdowns. You want those sort of things, which Kittle gives you, which Goddard gives you, Waller. All of those folks give that to you. You're not going to get that with Schultz. And so, again, it is just the ADP. You're, you're, and you're saying is the best. Let's hate the ADP, not the player. And that's really all there is to it with Schultz. He should be going in the seventh or eighth round with Dallas Goddard. He should not be a fifth round pick. And also remember, this is about folding all the different components of the strategy we've talked about across quarterback, running back, and receiver together with tight end. We've talked about running back, pretty much a dead zone here. So you can be off of it for the most part, unless there's a huge value that slides. We've talked about wide receiver. There are some options here, but they start to get muddy. So what is our pivot? It's quarterback. I'm not taking Dalton Schultz over Kyler Murray. There's no way. I'm not, not taking even Dalton not, Schultz over. Not even if there's a fire. No, it's not even if there's a fire. I'm not taking him over Jalen Hurts. Um, I'm not taking Dalton Schultz over Trey Lance. Like, it's just not happening, ever. It's never happening because the upside that those guys give you by being special archetype players that we want at their position because they're dual threats, right? And again, we're talking fantasy football not just real football. We're talking, they, they relate, but at the end, all we care about right now is fantasy football. So the upside for those players, you, you just, there's not an argument in my mind to take Schultz ahead of those type of league winning options, especially when you can get Dallas Goddard later. And really the same goes for TJ Hawkinson. He's not quite as priced up as Schultz. He's a little bit cheaper. You can get him around later, but really they're a similar profile at this point. And I will say there can be a ceiling on this type of profile. I would say Zach Ertz, if Dalton Schultz is going to ascend to be 
you know, another great tight end, like the archetype is really more Zach Ertz, right? Yeah. Ertz was never this great. Well, but the last year he turned in, he dyed his hair yellow and he became a yak monster. But really up through last year, even in his younger years, not necessarily this huge yak guy, but someone that the quarterbacks always trusted, you know, had a shot at 100 receptions. Maybe Dalton Schultz could do something like that. So I don't want to totally discount him. But if you look at his total range of outcomes, he's just going too soon. Yeah, I was just pulling up the um, Raz scores for for all of them. Dalton Schultz, 7.11. Ertz, 6.36, so a pretty good comp there. I've actually seen some people like wonder, oh, Schultz is going to be like Jason Witten. I don't think the, these Gen Zers out there, Dwayne, like remember like just how yeah. freaky early They just remember Jason pull Witten a rabbit was. out of your head. They don't re- know how good you know Jason Witten was on the football field. And just as an athlete, man, he had a 9.62 yeah. uh, Raz score. Like it... Jason Witten, like true, true all-timer at the position. Yeah, he when he played for 15 years, you're not going to look great, you know, in year 15 or whatever. But let's try to keep a little bit more perspective. And with Hawkinson, I do think it's worth noting that, hey, with Mark Andrews, we said it, top three in all these main metrics you want to look at. Hawkinson is really good. I'm not, I don't, I, I'm not readily putting him in that same like Andrews tier as like a real life talent since he's coming to the he's league not, yeah. among t- 68 tight ends with at least, at least 50 targets. Hawkinson, 14th in PFF receiving grade, 20th in yards per route run, 14th in targets per route run. He's had back to back tight end seven finishes and PPR points per game. He's really good, but once again, not someone that I feel the need to really reach for when we can get Dallas Goddard. Arguably, I would say he is a higher upside receiver rounds later with those two kind of again you're not ranking them as fades necessarily Dwayne but you do have them as opportunistic buys where we're definitely not going out of our way to get them meanwhile though the best the best way to think about them would be all the elite quarterbacks are gone and you just don't like any of the receivers that are there because you should probably shouldn't be taking backs yet where they're going so let's just kind of narrow it down to that. I, I would really want all those other quarterbacks we talked about to be gone before I would be willing to pull the trigger. The only other way would be as if for some reason, you know, there's potentially a run on tight end and you feel like, you know, but even then, like if there's a run on tight end, those guys are probably going too early and that's yeah. what's kind of causing the run. And in that case, you just need to pivot and go elsewhere. So let's just take that off the table. It's to me, it are the quarterbacks, the elite quarterbacks available, you know, or, or are they not? And if they're gone, then maybe you can consider it. But, you know, again, fifth fifth rounds is too rich. Back to Kyle Pitts here. You said it. He plays wide receiver. Like last year, eight tight ends ran at least 75% of their routes from the slot or out wide. Number one, Mike Jasicki at 92%. Number two, Anthony Ferkser. Now Pitts is back up on the Falcons. 87%. Kyle Pitts at 80%. Fourth place, Mark Andrews at 79%. So that's Pitts for you. And yeah, the one touchdown against freaking John Franklin, I believe the Jets uh, defensive end. Not great, but I went back. And this is why I like, you know, I, I love the resources we have at PFF. I, I feel so bad for everyone that has to go through NFL Game Pass to try to get their all 22 stuff because we're just a click away in PFF Ultimate. So thank you. Shout out to our lovely employers there because <laughs> with Pitts, man, I remember when we were doing our Falcons preview, like I was underwhelmed by him in the 2021 season as we were going through it. I think more so just because he already had expectations of a top five tight end. So when he finishes top 10 instead of top five, like it was a letdown, even though he joined Evan Ingram as the only guys to actually do this over the past decade. But going back and watching some of the things he was doing, man, the Miami game, like beating 
Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, like elite outside cornerbacks, beating them at their own game later in the year. Like he almost had this like 70 yard chunk yards after the catch touchdown against the Buccaneers where he stepped out of bounds, you know, by half an inch. Otherwise, we'd be seeing that highlight, you know, all over the place throughout the entire offseason. He looked like he was starting to figure it out at the end of the year. And like, again, it's one of these things where I know third round is pretty pricey to take a guy that's going to be catching passes from Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter. But this really could be the last time that Kyle Pitts is available in round three, man. And to your point earlier, the ceiling really is as the overall tight end one. Where do you draw the line, though, in this wide receiver two mess? Right now, I have Kyle Pitts ranked as my 28th player overall. I am taking him ahead of Pittman, McLaurin, DJ Moore. And where those those wide receiver twos start, I would still take A.J. Brown, the Chargers wide receivers, ahead of Kyle Pitts. Most of those running backs i think like james connor someone i put behind Pitts as well again i thought we had a really good discussion about it in our falcons team preview where it's like if you don't get an early round tight end you can argue that Pitts. if we just called him a wide receiver man i think he kind of fits in that wide receiver two tier as it is but he's not he's being called a tight end which helps us even more in fantasy land. that's exactly the point that's what i was gonna say is you're essentially drafting a player that projects for the same amount of receptions yards and touchdowns is all the receivers you just named but you get to play him at tight end and he carries upside similar to some of the other names that you mentioned right you didn't just name a bunch of bums you name guys that have upside range of outcomes so he gives you both but he plays tight end and that is an advantage that is something that you want to take advantage of um, versus your league mates so yeah um, Kyle Pitts is an absolute priority at the middle to the end of the third round as being a potential centerpiece you know for drafts this year uh, 81.6 PFF receiving grade in his first season. We mentioned he basically played receiver. Only 51% of his targets came against linebackers and safeties. Like other tight ends in the league are getting 80% of their targets against those kind of mismatches. And so, again, like even if they play him wide, he's still going to be fine. But if they do move him inside and all of a sudden linebackers and safeties got to deal with this dude and his athleticism – He's a complete mismatch inside. Like, like nobody's going to be able to cover him. Like, it's just that's what we saw on his. Uh, he had like one catch in the preseason. It was just that basic bootleg toss it to him in the flat. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. holy Gorilla, shit. Like, yeah. yeah, these linebackers can't keep up with this dude. It's like what, like, you can do that, like, in Madden if you just want to, like, F around. Okay. I play NCAA football, of, of course. But yeah, you, you put your, like, wide receiver four at tight end instead of tight end. You just have these massive mismatches. I, I don't understand why the Falcons didn't lean into that a little bit more. But again, but that's where his upside comes into play. Yeah. If they do that, he will get an immediate bump in efficiency. You know, we know the targets are going to be there. That's really not a question at all. Um, it's just a matter of can we get the most out of it? I honestly believe if they move him inside, you're looking at the tight end one overall this year. I think it'll happen. Now, Darren Waller versus George Kittle. We already had a pretty lengthy debate on this subject. Dwayne, I am team George Kittle. You continue to stick it out just a little bit for Darren Waller. I just think with the good eight to 10 pick discount, you're kind of getting on George Kittle here. I think he's a better player. I think their target projection is similar. Yeah, I would take Derek Carr over Trey Lance in terms of a pure passer. I don't think it's particularly close, but 
I think you could argue Kittle's in an entire different tier than Waller in terms of what he's able to do with the ball in his hands and out there on the field. And Dwayne, there is a chance that Kittle leads the 49ers in targets. He was the number, he had 7.1 targets per game to Debo Samuel's 5.5 in 2019. and 2020, it was 7.9 versus 7.3 once again in favor of Kittle. Last year, Debo took the lead 7.1 versus 6.4. But it would not shock us if Waller just jumps to the front and actually leads this overall team in targets, raw and target share. Darren Waller, I see no ways without injury that he actually finishes with more targets than Devontae Adams. And you could even argue Hunter Renfro more of a threat than perhaps someone like Brandon Ayuk. So we do need to give Waller a little bit of credit for last season. You know, he had an ankle sprain in August and he had the issue again, rise up in October. And then he goes ahead and hurts his knee on Thanksgiving against the Cowboys. So I want to be careful that I'm not putting Waller too down for last season's performance because he was playing through the pain it's more it's less of an indictment on waller and more on let's get on the kittle train because the best tight end in the league as we've said before aliens invade we gotta defend the planet we gotta start mm-hmm. starting lineup out there kittle is our tight end one for one game and to be able to get that guy in the fifth round man i am pulling the trigger on kittle almost every single time i see him in the fifth round Yeah, I think if you're going to take a tight end at the middle of the fourth, that's where you have to make the decision. Do you want Waller or Kittle? And I I still use ADP as a component like of how I manage my ranks. So anytime I have two guys that are really close, like ADP is helping kind of dictate what order they're going to look like in the tiers because it's also about, again, trying to help people draft to maximize. But what you will see when you look at my ranks is they're in the same tier, right? So that tells you right away that we really like both players and there's a reason they're in the tier together. And so if you can get one of them in round five, but the other one you have to take in in round four, to your point, you should take the one in round five. (laughs) You know, that should just be your stance. Um, The question is, do you just want to, are you, are you so excited about Kittle? You just want to absolutely make sure you get him in the fourth round um, and and take him ahead of ADP. I think you can make a case for it, but the best way to, to really, take advantage of Kittle is to spend that fourth round pick on something else and give it the opportunity, give greatness, the opportunity to happen, give the opportunity for him to fall back to you in the fifth round. And you tack him on top of Cortland Sutton, who you just took in the fourth round. And then you get up and you do a little victory dance around the room. Whenever you look (laughs) up and you have Jamar chase, Saquon Barkley, you come back and you get uh, T Higgins in the third round. And then the fourth round, you know, you grab Cortland Sutton. And now in the fifth round, you have, you know, Kittle and coming back in the sixth, you're going to take Jalen hurts, you know, you and you can just like, make sure you've got like a little, uh, fake, like stick pony or something that you can get up <laughs> and just like do some sort of weird dance around all your league mates. The, because, um, like, it's all game. It's ball no, game. It's, it's the happy Gilmore, game. happy Gilmore putter <laughs> dance. And his grandma yes, was doing yes. in the retirement home. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And need, so, yeah. And all we your, need, your we league actually, mates. Yeah. We need to make that into a meme now. That, that absolutely <laughs> needs to happen. So, yeah, man, I love Kittle. And, and again, like if Kittle was ahead in ADP, he would just be ahead, you know, in my in my rank, you know, here. But to your point, like if I only got to do one draft and I had to make the decision on a tight end and it had to be in the fourth round, it would be Kittle. Absolutely. All right. That was the earlier middle rounds. Now we're looking at rounds seven through 11. Nobody has a seventh round ADP right now. And again, that's why we're more so on team Dallas Goddard than Dalton Schultz and Hawkinson. Yeah, they're in a tier, but when one guy in the tier is going two, three rounds later than the other guys, you take the cheaper options. Same thing we just discussed with Waller and Kittle. Eighth round ADPs, though, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. Ninth round, Dawson Knox. Tenth round, Mike Desicki, Pat Frymuth, and Cole Komet. 
Ew. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, <laughs> an 11th round ADP. Our favorite late round tight end of the year now is no longer a late round tight end. He's all the way up in the middle rounds, Irv Smith. So I'm going to go ahead and just give us a victory on that already, Dwayne, before even the season happens. Because Irv Smith was going freaking outside the top 15 plus tight ends early on. Now I like to think through the sure sheer willpower of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We have him up to tight end 11 over at Underdog Fantasy. But enough jerking each other off here. Eighth round tight ends, Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz. I continue. Yeah. All right. Raw projection, man. And again, ADPs matter. But to me, I think you can make an argument that Ertz deserves to be projected higher than Dallas Goddard. We've been drawing a line throughout the offseason. And I'm not trying to put down Goddard. I just think in terms of the projected passing volume in the offense, not having Hopkins there. And, you know, it's Hopkins and Marquise Brown are potential pathways that Ertz is not going to see the targets. But I would not exactly put them higher than A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. That said, with the ADP, obviously we're taking Goddard first, but this is kind of like where I draw the line, Dwayne, in terms of being like really happy about my tight end position and not because as much as we've said before, you're taking any of these guys, you know, Waller, Kittle, even Hawkinson, Schultz, like you only need one tight end redraft if you're taking any of these guys. I would say after Goddard and Ertz, that's where you could start exploring the idea of taking a second tight end because that's where my confidence level at least takes a pretty big drop off. I think that's right. Uh, if you don't get one of these, you're going to consider having two. And if you're playing in a league that only allows 15 roster spots and two of them are kicker and defense, you only get 13 players. Gross. It is tough to tie up two picks and tight in because their upside is just not there. They're, they don't have the ability to break your league. Yes, they have the ability to make your roster a lot better, but they're also not easy to trade even when they're good. And so, and it's hard to hit on them. It's hard to hit on late round. We'll talk about some of the late rounders that we love here in a minute, but yeah, I'd rather come away with one of these. I did do a projection spectrum on Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard specifically. I like to do this with anybody. I did it really with all the tight ends, but I like really comparing guys that are close. And so I've really got them, their median projection. I've got Zach Ertz at 103 targets and I've got Goddard right at 107. So I essentially have them the same. And what drives the difference is, Goddard earns targets at a much higher rate than Zach Ertz because he's a better player. Yep. Now, that's with projection of, I've only got the Eagles projected for 610 dropbacks. Like, they could surprise us and throw more. I've got, to your point, the Cardinals is a more pass-happy offense at 685 dropbacks, you know, to drop back and pass. So, even though we've got a more pass-happy offense, the there's the difference, you know, between one's ability to demand, to demand more targets than the other. And, oh, by the way, I took Goddard down from what we've seen him do because we've got the arrival of who? A.J. Brown. So, I mean, if you look at Goddard last year, he had a 27% target share once Ooh. Zach Ertz was traded. 27%. So, like, that's elite, you know, for a tight end. Like, that's beyond elite. That's freaking ridiculous is what that is. And so, I, I, I took it down from there. Like, I made his median 22% this year um, and on targets per route run. So, using that, they still, they, they come out really close. So, to me, you've got to still lean Goddard. Because again, you know, Ertz doesn't profile as the potential guy that could break the league. Like Ertz will never finish as the tight end one. Like if I had to put a range of outcomes on what's the chance Ertz finishes as the tight end one this year? Like obviously there's a probability for everybody, right? But he, he'd be like out in the very tail end of the bell curve. Like, oh, he's got a one and a half percent chance. Goddard, like it's more like at that 80% range at 75%, you know, uh, there's a chance like that he could hit that ceiling and be the tight end one overall. Are we predicting it? No, but he's got the skill set 
to make it happen. Ertz and, would and, need to catch like a hundred, like like what he did in Philly. He'd need to catch over a hundred passes and just live on volume. Goddard is the one that could actually make right. more out of less. And he's not gonna be able to do that because you've got Marquise Brown, you've got Rondell Moore, you've got James Conner. You're gonna have you know DeAndre Hopkins back. Now you could argue the same thing, you know, with Goddard. And here's the other thing, though. Remember, once you get to these later picks like this, and you're in your weighing between, remember, we don't really know what's going to happen. Knock on wood, we don't want these things to happen. But what, what if AJ Brown goes down, and you've got Jeez. this talent profile Goddard has, and the Eagles have decided to throw the ball more? Weird stuff just happens. So position yourself to have the player on your roster that has the most talent, so that when chaos happens, which it does every year in the NFL you've got the one that can maximize it the most. And I just believe that Goddard is the pick that can maximize chaos better than what Zach Ertz could do. And he's also he can also come through on less because of his efficiency. So that would lean me to Goddard you know, over Ertz. And then age is obviously a factor. To your yeah. point, the tight ends can play later, but Goddard really should be coming into his absolute prime of his NFL career. So, and, and Goddard has a higher ADP than Ertz. So this is not a hot take or anything like that. Let's not forget about Ertz though, because yeah, we're team Goddard over Ertz. But again, this is where we're drawing the line. So Ertz is still on the right side of that line. Yes, they did use a second round pick on Trey McBride, but you know, three years, 31.65 million with 17 and a half million guaranteed to Zach Ertz. I think, you know, it's, it's hilarious, Dwayne, like PFF draft guide, Mike Renner, comp Trey McBride to Dallas Goddard. What what more do you people want? He's going to be a really talented tight end that has to unfortunately play behind Zach Ertz for the first couple of years of his career because of the investment that the franchise has already made in the guy. So love, you know, the future potential maybe of Trey McBride, but for at least the year 2022, man, does seem like Ertz is going to continue to be that undisputed tight end one. I don't want to hear about the Hopkins splits as a reason to fade Zach Ertz, though, because one of those games, a whopping two-game sample size, and one of those games, Kyler Murray threw 15 freaking passes in his first game back from injury against the Bears. So, yeah, no shit. Ertz was a little bit uh, worse when Hopkins was on the field. Well, one of those games had a whopping 15 total pass attempts. So, with that off my chest, Dwayne. Apologies to Pat Fryermuth's family. Ian will use one-game sample sizes at times. It's not even one game. not for Zach Ertz. Well, it, that is – here's the thing, man. That is the most important sample we have, not a random-ass Week 12 game. Oh, we'll get okay. to Fryermuth in a second. We'll get to Fryermuth <laughs> in a got, second. Now we got the validation. Okay. We got Dawson um, Knox. We got Dawson Knox going round nine. Now, he is the poster child of, you know, he's going to regress. And I, I, I love re- reading – articles like that Dwayne that just you know it's two sentences like I'm fading this guy because he scored a lot of touchdowns last year and he's going to regress because it's hard to score a lot of touchdowns again that's done right (laughs) Bill's offense though all they added was OJ Howard who great story coming back from the Achilles in one year but let's face it looked like a shell of himself last season when he was out there on the field always having the right thing said between Josh Allen and them hasn't gotten a long-term contract possibly a franchise tag candidate for next year no, Dawson Knox doesn't have this wild underlying, you know, data to really support him doing what he did last year. And the one study I did do, 10 of 12 tight ends to score at least eight touchdowns on fewer than 80 targets, went on to work as a tight end 14 or worse the following seasons. The exceptions were Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Gates. I would not put Dawson Knox in that stratosphere. But damn it, Dwayne, if there was going to be an offense to help Dawson Knox repeat this, it would be one with minimal tight end competition, Josh freaking Allen under center. And, you know, it's possible that Knox could be the number two in this offense. Unlikely, but it's it's a complete toss-up behind Stephon Diggs. 
Yeah, and that's you're just you're putting a chip on the Bills offense at this point. And there's really, you know, to your point, the number two role is open. Yeah, Knox's profile, and, and we covered this earlier in the season um, when he was a little more steamed at the time. And I was like, man, he's got to come down. And he has now. Yeah. Now he's not, he, he was going a little bit higher than this at the time. And so his underlying profile is not great. He's not a big, he, he really profiles more as a, a high end tight end two, low end tight end one from a targets per route run standpoint, from a yards per route run standpoint, from a PFF receiving grade, really from everything. Like it kind of says what he is. But again, just like what we talked about with Gabriel Davis, he doesn't necessarily comp to all the best players in histories in history. But if you're an average player in this offense, like it could be the thing that really pushes you upward. And here's the other thing: even though like what we see with him doesn't necessarily look great, and the offense carried him, we have to always at least account that there's a chance that he could take this big step forward. And he's a young player, right? Yeah. This isn't a player that's been around, you know, playing five years he's been playing three and we know that tight ends sometimes take a little bit longer to get going and so once you calculate all those things um i think that knox is the next player that should come off the board um, and i am willing to put an opportunistic buy-in on dawson knox i typically don't get him at adp because honestly i'm like if i'm taking a bill there i'm prioritizing his teammate james cook <laughs> you know in the ninth round and making sure that i get him um but if we're taking more of a macro view right and not a micro view um, and the macro view is there's just a lot of running backs with huge upside in round nine that I love. And I'm often in a build where I need to take that over Knox. But if I'm in a situation where these other things are really strong and I've got Knox sitting there, then I think I'm, you know, I'm much more willing to click on him than I was, you know, earlier in the off season. And a lot of that does come down to the ADP is just better. I agree with that. I have Knox ranked as my tight end 10, still going as a tight end nine and underdog, but you know, he, there's only like a three pick difference between him and Zach Ertz at this point. That used to be much, much wider earlier in the off season. Simpler times, Dwayne, we could get uh, Zach Ertz and Rob Gronkowski just 10th rounder later. Obviously the uh, latter scenario didn't exactly turn out great for us, but alas. All right. 10th round ADP. Let's talk a little Mike Jasicki at first. He is falling a little bit now. He's tight end 14 over underdog fantasy. People, I think, starting to wise up just to the reality that there's only one ball to go around in this Dolphins offense that can't help themselves but adding one slot receiver after another. Cool stat from PFF's ace ranker, Nathan Yonke. Dolphins players who saw 50% or more of their targets come from the slot last season, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, Cedric Wilson, Mike Jasicki, and hell, even, you know, presumed four-string quarterback, four-string wide receiver, Muhammad Sanu, throw him in there as well. So the question with Jasicki, Dwayne, is in a new offense that could be run balanced, run heavy, I don't, I think they'll throw the ball plenty, but if we just look at what Mike McDaniel did in San Francisco, different team, he wasn't calling the plays Kyle Shanahan was. It was a pretty run heavy offense from year to year. It was slow paced. Obviously Tyreek Hill, who they made the league's highest paid wide receiver, him and Devontae, I think each have that you know, in a different type of manner. Either way, top two highest paid wide receiver. Jalen Waddle coming off a great rookie season, former number six overall pick. Obviously, he's going to get fed. Cedric Wilson, low-key, got $18 million this offseason. Like, unless Mike DeSicchi starts playing in-line tight end, which he's never done. Again, last year, 92% of his routes came from the slaughter route wide. Even on National Tight End Day, one of his teammates slapped Mike on the back, and he said, more like National Big Slot Day. Even Mike DeSicchi doesn't think he's a freaking tight end. I don't know where he's getting the playing time, Dwayne, unless it's a completely new position for him. I think we're going to way too often see these games where Mike Tosicki playing about half of the snaps and he makes the most out of three or four targets. 
Yeah, and that's that was my big issue with him early in the offseason because folks were for, at first very excited because immediately they think the Kyle Shanahan offense mismatches for tight ends, right, versus the linebackers and safeties, especially with play action. And the challenge, even this was before Tyreek Hill, is the point you made. You know, he doesn't play inline tight end. And a lot of the time in that offense, they're out there with a fullback and an inline tight end. And when you look at the Dolphins roster, they've got multiple tight ends. So they could use 12 personnel instead of 21 to really accomplish the goal they want. And I won't be surprised if, if he's not one of the two tight ends on the field when they're out there in that heavy formation um, because he's not a good blocker. And if they want the, the defense to respect the run, they've got to also sell that they're going to be running. And if they decide to run, they need the advantage of having numbers in the blocking game, and he doesn't give them that. So I agree with you. I think he's going to see his lowest route participation grade probably since his rookie year when he was at 42%. I don't think he'll be that low because he's been at 73%, 70%, and 78% over the last three years. 80% is the magic number we really want. Um but I think he'll probably come in somewhere around 60 to 65%. There'll be certain games where they shoot out and it's great. But the other challenge is, is something else you've already said. Okay, now we're in a shootout and we want to get you on the field and we like you in the slot. We're not we're not taking Jalen Waddle or Tyree Hill off the field, period. So now you've got to rotate with Cedric Wilson. It's just going to be really hard for him to even get to 70% of the routes. He could The way he would come through and the way that he would still pay off um, would just be touchdowns. If they find a way to keep him involved, and I could see that, right? I could see that between the 20s, they're rotating him and Cedric Wilson in the slot. You get down inside the 20, inside the 10, all of a sudden it's really, it's really you know, you know, Mike Gusecki instead of Cedric Wilson that's on the field. Like, that, that could happen. And you could see him score, you know, maybe he scores eight touchdowns, and that's how he comes through. So I think over in best ball, it's it's a, it's easier to draft him. If you're going to draft him over and redraft, he's always been a hard weekly start anyway. Well, I think he's just going to get he's going to get harder to pull the trigger on week in and week out. Obviously, he's a, he is a talented enough player. He's along the lines of where we would talk about with Schultz. He's along the lines of what we would talk about. Uh, you know, even with Zach Ertz, maybe a little bit better because he's still younger. I was about I mean, to say, I think as a pure raw receiver we could even say goddard level because mike just he's basically yeah, he's not goddard pressure, level he, he's definitely below goddard like if you look at his underlying so he maybe you sandwich sandwich him between those but i would say more on the level honestly of a hawkinson type player dude right? but he runs like a probably, freaking like look at his numbers i'm just saying yeah like, he's, he's fast but they run overall, a 40 like, he, like schultz and hawkinson could be at the 30 yard line by the time just running through the 40 <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, look, there's some things to like about him, but overall, like he just hasn't shown any sort of elite ability. He's okay. shown good ability, like in the underlying data point. So, you okay. know, I put him in, he might be in the range with Hawkinson if he landed in the, in the perfect situation, but I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't put him with Goddard. I think Goddard's on another plane, but best ball, I think he's fine. That's the bottom line. Really going to be tough to start him. Uh, if you're over in a redraft league and you've got to pull the trigger, you know, each week on getting him in there. Great comp from our friends over at Player Profiler on um on Mike Jasicki, Vernon Davis. See that I can just a complete freak athlete who yeah sometimes you'd see him get the targets and other times he wouldn't. And what do you have those years? Not too much in fantasy land. The main event, Pat Fryermuth. So he's going. He's now going behind Irv Smith. Like that was always my thing with him. I was like, why am I going to take Pat Fryermuth when I can just get Irv Smith a bit later? Well, now that's no longer a problem. So for me. It's just, I want to know why, Dwayne. I'm a curious guy. 
there's a lot I want to know in this world. I just want to know why Zach Gentry ran more routes and played over Pat Frymouth in the Steelers wild card loss to the Chiefs. Gentry is still on the team. Pat Frymouth is still on the team. Before this was the rotation, it was Eric Ebron and Vance McDonald. For years, they have used multiple tight ends in this offense. Why is that going to change? Why should we prioritize Pat Frymouth over guys like Gerald Everett or Tyler Higby who are going rounds later and we are much more certain are not going to have to deal with the potential thorn decide that could be one Zach Gentry. Well, I think the biggest thing with Pat Fryermuth is just that the the thing the metrics that he hit, you know, as a rookie. Now he's not like this big after the play kind of guy. Uh, he's more of a catch it and fall down, much more along the archetype of a Zach Ertz. But what we saw from his rookie PFF receiving grades, some of these other data points, like they were actually, you know, they were good. They suggest that Fryermuth could be a good player. And so look, it doesn't, I don't, I'm not going to talk about the gentry thing, you know, again, like it is what it is. And, and I get it. I know they've had a rotation. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, like Firemuth has moved down in ADP. You can get him in the 10th round, uh, probably a player that just like the rest of these that we're talking about though. Yeah. I don't know that you're ever going to feel confident putting him in the lineup, you know? And so I think that's the challenge, you know, for Pat Fryermuth, just like it is for, you know, Jaseki, uh, just like it is for Cole Komet. I think there's challenges, you know, for all of these guys. And there's a reason that they're falling to where they are now. And I think people are just starting to really get a better read, right, on these situations. And again, back to your point, we a lot of times you start the offseason with, wow, look at all these tight ends we could get late. Look, I love all these guys in best ball. I don't want to start any of the names that we just talked about every week in redraft. And if I had to pick one that was past Goddard and Ertz, it would be Knox just because of the offense he plays in. After Pat Frymouth, we have one Cole Komet. Yeah, man. So the thing with Cole Komet, and I have an article going up on PFF.com on Monday, actually, where I went through and I looked at what offenses have been using workload running, workhorse running backs the most. So I looked at every play caller. I was able to basically find out like what offenses like are giving, have given running backs 90%, 75% or 60% snap rates over the years. And the situations that are really tough are Denver and Chicago because we have Nathaniel Hackett and Luke Getze coming from the Matt LaFleur coaching tree. So it's kind of like, okay, how much do we, how much stock do we put in what happened last year in Denver and Chicago? How much stock do we put into what happened in green Bay? Cause that's where the coaches are coming from. That's my concern with Cole Komet that nobody else seems to be even asking Dwayne because yeah, I get it. Cole Komet played every snap last year. Basically he had a lot of targets. He's in an offense with a lot of, you know, open opportunity and his red zone opportunities last year were mostly taken by Jimmy Graham, who is now out of the picture. I'm just wondering if week one comes around and we see what we saw with Robert Tunyon last year, which is Cole Komet is the lead tight end, but he's playing closer to 50, 60 percent of the snaps instead of 100. And we have two not guys that are going to take over, but capable tight ends that we have seen start games for teams for extended periods of time. And Ryan Griffin and James O'Shaughnessy behind him like Cole Komet's one of those guys, man, where. I think we're going to know. We're going to know everything there is to know about him after week one. It's going to, is he going to be this still full time player or is he going to be a part time player? This is a little rich for me to find out. Yeah. So I'm the opposite of you on this one. The way I look at that in Green Bay, they have a stud blocking tight end named Mercedes Lewis. He's a specialist. That's what he does. So they put him out there when they're in the run heavy formations, when they've got a fullback behind him. And then when they want to throw the ball, they would use Tunyon. They would get him on the field. When I look at, you know, O'Shaughnessy and the other names we talked about, 
Cole Komet is just as good, if not a better blocker than both of those guys. He's still the youngest option on the team. We know that it takes tight ends longer. So I definitely still want to take a swing on Komet because I think that he, you know, once I get down in this range, honestly, I'm looking at the youth. I'm looking for the players that give me, you know, the upside, you know, to potentially still come through, you know, with a breakout season. A lot of these other guys, yeah, they play in better offenses, but we know what they are, right? They're the third or fourth option on their offense. You know, he at least has an he has an ability to potentially be the number two in his offense, and maybe the offense becomes more efficient. You know, he he I think he's rightfully placed in the tier where he belongs. I'm just not as I'm, and he's not a guy like I'm overly trying to target. I'm just not as worried, you know, about the depth chart, you know, as you are. I totally get where you're coming from, but I think it is a little bit of a different situation based on the archetypes, right, of, of the tight ends, that the mix of, of the tight end room, if you will, versus what we had in Green Bay. What about this then? Because I remember, I, I try to learn from you, Dwayne. I think you're a smart guy. If I haven't made that clear. I love it whenever years, you have but... something you bring up that I used and you use it against me. This is my favorite part of the show. <laughs> when I talked about Pat Fryermuth with their Steelers preview, I was showing his stats as uh, uh, amongst other tight ends. He was average, but you, you were like, hey, he was a rookie last year. It takes tight ends longer to get going. I was like, yeah, so it's not fair to compare Pat Fryermuth against eight-year veterans and stuff. Good point by you. I did the same thing with Cole Komet, though, where I now I adjusted and I looked at Cole Komet compared to other tight ends in their first two years with at least 50 targets. So since 2015, there's been 36 of these first two years tight ends. Among those 36 players, Cole Komet ranks 24th in PFF receiving grade, 27th in yards per route run, 19th in targets per route run. Isn't this exactly what you hate, Dwayne? The player that really hasn't shown us much talent and is we're just hoping that the bad offense kind of funnels targets this way, even though he really, even compared to other players in a similar stage of their career, hasn't flashed much of anything at this point? I agree, but that's why he goes lower. I mean, you know, look, I mean, he's going down here with Gasecki, he's going with Gerald Everett, he's going with Robert Tunyon, he's going with Higby. So he is 23 and a half years old, and the rest of those guys are all nearly 30, right? Or they're 29 years old. So it's not a perfect, you know, science, like, and it's all varying degrees, like as you move down the tiers. So I think everything you said is, is really accurate. And the issue I would have is like if someone had Cole Komet and we were you know looking at him and they had him ranked next to Albert O, right, or had them ranked uh, you know next to Zach Ertz or someone like that. That that's where I think I would just be like, ah, come on, like that's too high. But the range of where he's going, um, and knowing that it does take tight ends longer, I, I think it's still an option, you know, for you late. And again, like this is mostly best ball talk because hopefully you've already got you if you've listened to this pod. A priority is getting a tight end by the time Zach Ertz is off the board. <laughs> and so if not, this is the challenge you're faced with. Uh, we don't know if any of these guys can break out. They've all got challenges, and you may have to roster two. And nobody wants to roster two in a 15-team league. So because of all the things you and I are having to go back and forth about on all these guys, I think yeah. that's the big takeaway for me um, that I would hope that the audience that the audience gets. Um, whether or not Cole Komet you know, finally breaks out, like if I had to put a chip on it, and you're like, Dwayne, like Girl Scouts coming to the door, sauntering <laughs> about, you know, you got to put a chip down like on is Cole Komet breaking out this year or not? I would say no. Like, I would say no. But if you ask me, is is it more likely that Cole Komet breaks out versus, you know, Tyler Higby? I would say, yeah, it probably is more likely that Komet breaks out just yeah. because he could do it on his talent. As much as we like Higby, Higby's in the better offense, but we've seen Higby long enough to be pretty certain, right? That, like, he's not the breakout guy. He's, gonna, he's, he's a complimentary weapon. Cole Komet, it's a Lloyd Christmas. So you're telling me there's a chance. 
And that's fine, but you've seen some of the commit chatter just like I well, have. I know, I, and I'm I'm with you on that. Like people yeah. are too they're they're too high. Okay. You know, nothing wrong with being high sometimes, but on, on Cole Komet, <laughs> on Cole Komet is where we were drawing the you line. Too high. Who gives a shit? It's gone. That's Irv, another great line from Irv. Major League. Hell yeah. <laughs> too high. Too high. You remember Irv, that? Yes, I do. Outfield? Yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> Irv Smith. All right. Awesome training camp storylines here come from Irv Smith. So less important news. He's healthy. He's out there working with the ones like he's fully recovered from last year's injury. So I guess that matters a little bit, but Dwayne, the real juicy stuff, Irv Smith got a butterfly tattoo on his neck to signify a quote unquote new beginning. And that's not it. He also got a tattoo of the Hulk on his left hand because he plans to smash on the field this year. I absolutely love it. Uh, you know, it's it's one of these situations, Dwayne. I'm sure you'll have similar sentiments about your boy Alberto in Denver with some of the training camp uh, storylines. Like, this is where we do need to be careful about being caught up because, like, I did see another Vikings note that was like, "Oh, Johnny Munt with a nice catch down the seam." Like, he's pretty he's pretty well ingrained as the Vikings tight end too. And we've talked about this. Johnny Munt was just the most block first tight end you'll find with Kevin O'Connell with the Rams. Like, he is the perfect tight end that we're not worried about. Just like or so we thought Eric Salbert in with the Broncos was a similar player, but now he's being called, you know, one of the stars of early Broncos training camp. So, take these reports with a grain of salt at before we get into preseason and stuff like that either way though Dwayne Irv Smith he's an every down he's looking like an every down player in an offense that we saw using every down tight end Kevin O'Connell with Tyler Higby out in Los Angeles draft nothing Johnny Munt again the perfect tight end to come in and not expect him to take away much if anything from Irv Smith's early down role and similar to some of these other guys we've been talking about God forbid Adam Thielen does get hurt. It's not that hard to picture a scenario where Irv Smith ends up being the number two potentially in this offense. I don't think it's a ton to say because he is now being priced up. He's a tight end 11. Gone are the days where we could get him, you know, extra late. But still, I think at this price range, after these other guys we talked about, he deserves to be in this range of tight ends. Well, and I will say if I miss, you know, at tight end, you know, sometimes it happens. You know, what if all the tight ends are gone by round seven? You know, and you weren't willing to take Ertz till nine. You know, you don't want to reach reach for a player like Zach Ertz in the seventh just because you have to, especially if there's some other sort of value on the board. Like sometimes you just got to be like, well, okay, great. Like I'm not going to pass this other value just because everybody else is reaching on on tight end. So sometimes the way a draft goes, it dictates that you're going to have to have an alternate plan. And I will say that if that is the case, I typically try to grab Irv Smith and Albert O. Those are the two that I'm targeting the most. And it's a lot easier now because you can just go ahead and, and I'm willing, even on, even though Irv Smith's ADP has moved up, I'm willing, the further you get away from round one, the more willing you should be, you know, to go ahead and reach a little bit to secure the right roster construction you want. So I'm fine. I'll take him in the middle of round 10 if I have to. And the beauty though is Albert O's ADP has fallen because of the Greg Dulcich stuff. And so now you can turn around two, two rounds later and tag team that you know, with an Albert O. So I do believe those are the two that are most likely to give you a tight end one season, a top six season that are not going inside the top 12 tight ends right now. Um, and I don't think it's really close. Like those are my favorite. There, there are other guys that could definitely come through and how the way, the way we always talk, there's going to be some tight end that's going to score 10 touchdowns. And there's going to be other tight ends that profile exactly the same that are going to score two. Good luck, folks, picking which one is which. Like, honestly, you just have to mix them up. Now, maybe you've got a strong take about something, and that's fine. Maybe there's something, you know, that you guys know that we don't. For the most part, it's going to, a lot of that comes down to variance. 
And so I do prioritize Irv Smith. I prioritize Albert O if I miss on you know something by Zach Ertz. Let's get to the main event now. Late round tight ends. We're not going to go through each and every one of these guys. To Dwayne's point, after Zach Ertz, like we're pretty much just trying to throw the right dart at this point. So, yeah, best ball. You know, we can talk all day about all the different options. But ideally, you are done drafting tight ends. You don't need a tight end to draft at this point in your redraft league. So, 12th, 13th round ADP, Hunter Henry, Noah Fant, David Njoku, and Albert O. Out of that group, I would just say I think Noah Fant's the one being a little bit mispriced. Yes, he has the first round draft capital history i just really wish you know seattle didn't have such a history of not only using multiple tight ends but freaking paying will disley the one that continues to be a thorn in the side of whoever their receiving tight end is 14th and 15th round adp robert tunyon gerald everett evan ingram tyler higby and cam Brate. excluding cam Brate, i think that Tunyon Everett Ingram Higby is a nice sweet spot to potentially look for your number two if you happen to only get like an Irv Smith or something like that if you feel the need to do that I would keep an eye on Tunyon's return from the pup list though we've gotten some encouraging reports throughout the offseason but while he's still on it it's tough to be feel too good and then your noteworthy picks beyond the 15th round Hayden Hurst who I think you could argue leads this uh, kind of group with the chance to take over as uh, Joe Burrow's new CJ Uzoma, Austin Hooper, Logan Thomas, also a pup candidate and also could be someone that we don't even see for the first month plus of the season. Brevin Jordan, CJ Uzoma, Taysom Hill, not on the pup list, which is a little bit intriguing there. Coming back from that list, Frank was a concern, but now looking like a potential guy that could cash in as like the tight end 27 off the board. Trey McBride, Mo Cox, Daniel Bellinger of the Giants, John o. Smith, OJ Howard, Dwayne's boy, Greg Dolchich, and Rob Gronkowski. So, Dwayne, I think you already kind of talked a bit about Alberto, but what this is weird, man. I, we barely knew who Eric Saubert was until the last few days. This dude's getting all sorts of hype. I mean, at this point in the draft, it's fine. I'm not talking down on Alberto. Uh, do, do, do you just have a comment about the Eric Saubert hype? Like, that, that's all I really want from you. No, I think it's stupid, to be <laughs> honest. Like, it just, honestly, like, the guy's been around a long time. We know what he is. Like, this, and this, this shows you why you've got to be really careful with all the nuggets coming out because – and I don't want this to sound wrong, but like beat reporters have a job to do. They have to create so many clicks. They have to create so many likes. They have to, they're content creators at the end of the day, like we are. And I'm not saying that they're lying. I'm not saying they're manipulating, but at the end of the day, they're just reporting what's happening in front of them. And there's so many things coaches are trying to accomplish and practice, you know, and the way that they're working the rotations and all those different things. For me, Alberto's easy. You just want to buy into the talent. Um, if there's going to be a tight end go off in Denver, it's going to be him. If there is a tight end that from this low group has a chance to really put up a huge season uh, and, and, you know, really break things for fantasy football, I would still put my chip on Alberto. We're late. I'm taking the talent. I'm taking the player I think has the most talent. And I actually love every story about Dulcich. I love every story about Saubert or, or Sherbert or whatever his name is. Um, I'm good with it. I honestly am. Like at this point, like just uh, – I know Albert O is going to get a record number of routes this year, whether he's having to share some with Dulcich or he's having to share some with Salbert. Like I'm confident in that. Like there's no way he has less routes than what he had with Noah Fant. So to me, it's all upside from there. If he turns into an 80% player and I'm getting him way later than that, then it's just, it's just icing on the cake for me. But if he ends up being a 60% guy instead of being a 30% guy, well, okay, I'm still at plus 30% from where he was before. And again, in your later tight ends, 
you're not necessarily just looking for guys that are going to be on the field catching passes. You want the upside of them to come through with the big plays. And I still think that Albert O gives you that. So yeah, I'm absolutely fine with all the news coming out on Albert O. And I've thought a lot about it, like, cause I don't want to just be stubborn, you know, about it. But as I read the news that's coming in, it just doesn't bother me. I wonder if it's just like, the beat writers are watching the tight end drills and as they're trying to type out like out you, you can say his last name like they're trying to spell it it's just taking too long uh, this, eric sober he's doing good yeah we got that one down <laughs> like come on that's first and last name basically equal to albert o's uh, last name and, so, and the other thing we've mentioned on these guys before right hunter henry fan and joke all the guys you just named the other way to think about these especially in best ball but you can do this in redraft too if for some reason you know you got to have a tight end two or you're sitting here and you still don't have your tight end one who's your qb one and think about the stack so if you've got justin herbert and you just got completely drilled at tight end and you decide to keep going with value and again sometimes that's the way a draft goes just prioritize gerald everett Take him around early. Take him a half round early and just be like, I'm putting my chip on. I got my chip on Herbert. I might as well double up every time Gerald Everett scores a touchdown. You know, if you're sitting there with Matthew Stafford, Tyler Higby's your guy. If you're sitting there with Aaron Rodgers, Robert Tunyon is your guy. Um, if you're sitting there with Tom Brady, I don't know who your guy is. It may be Cameron Brait. It could very well be uh, Kyle Rudolph is going to be on the field more because he can actually block. Brait's the F tight end. He's not, he's not your typical Y tight end. So, Honestly, like Brait is really much more like Hayden Hurst. He's going too soon, you know, in these drafts. But just just remember, like, who's your quarterback? That's the way I would think about some of these guys as another way to create a tiebreaker. Also, just want to quickly point out that Evan Ingram has been going like tight end 24 all offseason. Again, no one that we're telling you to draft, but if we do see the week one snap rates come, Dwayne, and Evan Ingram is just their featured 90% plus route tight end, like he is going to be consistently in the upside tight end two tier. And it's just, he's one of these guys that I think we're seeing different things held against. Like people are pissed off about having drafted him the last couple of years and it didn't work out. And I think they're holding that a little bit too much against him. I mean, a tweet talking about how Trevor Lawrence got picked off after ball bounced off of Evan Ingram's hands into the air has 1500 retweets and 8,000 <laughs> likes. People just, love to hate him. Just pissed off giants. Fan. And again, first, a lot of these guys that I, you know, maybe stick up for more than others, like the Carson Wentz's, the Baker Mayfields of the world. Like if you're a, just a, a fan of that team and it's a former first round pick and it didn't work out. I understand why you're upset about, you know, their quote unquote era, but, you know, it's fantasy. We're trying to just buy guys at the right price. And when you see Evan Ingram in this group, man, he is the only guy going this late that has even a small chance of leading his team in targets. I think it's unlikely, but you look at these other wide receivers in Jacksonville, like I don't think it's a guaranteed Christian Kirk or Zay Jones or Marvin Jones or any of these guys necessarily work ahead of Ingram. Most likely scenario, I think it's pretty spread out. But man, when he's going that late, Dwayne, That's all yeah, I got. <laughs> I, yeah, well, and it's similar to what we talked about with Alberto. Like the he he's more like Juju because he flat, you know, the problem you have with Juju is he flashed and we haven't seen it in like four years. Yeah. He's the same. He's similar, but you're getting him way later and he has at least shown it. <laughs> you know, so we've seen, we've actually seen it. There was a there was a time when this was the number one tight end in Dynasty. Right. <laughs> now that's not something we always cling to, but there's a reason for that because he was really talented. He had a great first year. He had high draft capital. And, you know, sometimes people just need to hit the reset switch. I will say, like, definitely been hearing more news there about a potential tight end, you know, rotation um, with Dan Arnold, I, which 
Dan Arnold, when he played with Sam Darnold, was like the greatest thing ever. How did we ever <laughs> had those two players, you know, on the same team? But anyway, there's been a little more talk, and they've talked about Ingram's definitely in the lead, but there has been a little bit more of a rotation. He's a guy that they used last year. But again, it, it look, if you're if you're getting later in the drafts, my thought is like bet on the players that you think have the talent and, and don't be so don't be so hung up on thinking you're going to be the one to predict which one's going to see 80% of the routes and which one isn't. Because a lot of times we end up just being wrong about that stuff. So just take the one that you think is the more talented player. And I think there's certainly an argument for Evan Ingram there because he has shown it in the past. Again, people, every season's different and every draft is a dynamic living organism. So don't be afraid uh, maybe to mix in Ingram if it's the right organism draft or, you know, just wait for the waivers. Probably the better idea there. Dwayne, I thought Ty Demons could be our shortest one. Instead, it's our second long longest, but that's just the way the uh, it is. Oh well, yeah, it is. That's the way yeah. the cookie crumbles sometimes. So okay, still right at an hour. We're right at an hour. Anything else you want to say about this lovely position? No, I think just again, like the the recap is if you there's value up top if you can get you know one of the elite tight ends, especially like I, I'm. I, I'm not. I'm willing to take Kelsey. I'm willing to take Andrews, but I think where the value really creeps in is with Pitts with Kittle, with Waller, and then with Goddard. And so those are really your centerpiece players right there. You'd like to come away with one of those. So read your board, work your tiers, and work your magic and go in your fantasy league. What else? What have you released this week, Dwayne? Anything other than the optimal strategies? It's just this, yeah, yeah. right? Um, yeah, so today the top storyline to be followed oh, right. every NFC yes. team came out. I've already submitted the same version of that uh, for the AFC, and it's being edited right now. So I don't know if they'll—I don't know if they're going to drop it like tomorrow, or if they're going to wait till Monday. They haven't said so. It'll, but it'll be up on the site in the next couple of days. And really, my goal there was to—and it was kind of hard for each team just to go to one. But I made myself—I made myself uh-huh. only pick one thing from each team. And the way I tried to do it is, if there was an overarching kind of um, question we have that could impact the whole offense, I went with that. Some teams, we really know what the offense looks like, so it might come down to, here's this camp battle. between. So, for example, the Bengals. We know who their starting receivers are. We know that Joe Mixon is a starting running back. We know their quarterback's good. We kind of know what their offense is going to look like. You could argue the biggest question is, will they throw the ball like they did in the second half of last year? Maybe I'd have shoot to use that one. But that one, it just came down to, well, the only thing we don't know is, could potentially Chris Evans knock off Samaji Pirine, right? Because... Evans is going sooner than P. Ryan. We were in a draft the other day where I thought you had a great call, and he actually went in front of us with P. Ryan like, hey, we're in the very last round. We might as well take a swing on P. Ryan. It's redraft. If he's not the guy, we can drop him. But again, it's at least something that we should be monitoring because if Joe Mixon goes down, we've got a backfield that doesn't really have anyone else, and they're going to play in an elite offense, a potentially elite offense that upgraded their offensive line. So that's the kind of example um, that I'm that I'm looking at. Great stuff there. Plan for next week, podcast-wise, we're going to be breaking down exactly what Dwayne is writing about, training camp battles, NFC and AFC. It'll be a good way for us to kind of go through what's important there and also what we're hearing and what could be noise uh, based on that. Also have two interviews lined up, one with Mr. Ray G talking rookies, one with, oh my goodness, the GOAT, Evan Silva himself, breaking down some top 150 goodness. And Dwayne and I will be back to enter another Football Guys Championship 350 bucks on the line not going to stream that for all of you because i don't want to get our pick sniped you know this is not <laughs> a uh, little five dollar underdog draft i am not trying to uh you know actively mess up our chances for hopefully 500k so 
tune in to that. Appreciate you guys tuning to this. And Dwayne, next time we talk, man, it's going to be August. Officially football season. And we will have games being played in that month. Can't not wait. Great day to be great as always. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. <laughs>